good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from Southern California. Hello, this is Stephen G. Fullwood. I'm the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project. I am coming to you from Harlem. It's a bit hot, but it's a nice, still nice weather. Hi, I'm Seth Rodney. I'm a senior editor at the Hyperallergic Blog in New York City. And I'm coming to you from the South Bronx, where um, it's, it, there's too much graffiti around. I, I, I really want someone to address that, honestly. <laughs> um, this is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. And uh, we're going to talk... Uh, I mean, you know, the ongoing conversation is about, of course, uh, George Floyd and the protests that emerged from that. But today is we're recording on Juneteenth. The podcast won't come out until the following Monday. But but that's uh, kind of on our minds. And we had actually uh, immediately jumped into a conversation about it uh, just when we were saying hello. So, um, Stephen, Seth, I mean, Seth, do you want to jump in? We were just we, you and I were just going through our little mm-hmm. armchair historian back and forth <laughs> about the, the Juneteenth holiday. So, so right. you want to go? So so, yeah. so can I, mean, I, I do I want to put a pin in that for just a moment and Not just sure. talk, if I may, um, about my personal relationship to Juneteenth. Hmm. So I don't have much of one until, and this is very much due to my boss taking it upon himself to do this. Um, this happened about a, a month and month and a half ago that Harag Vartanian decided uh, my boss had hyperallergic the uh, editor-in-chief, decided to make one of the Sunday editions that we do monthly now on Juneteenth. So, oh, so we were struggling initially about three weeks ago with coming up with ideas, getting in touch with people who could write about it. We tried a few people. A lot said no. Well, a few said no. A few, uh, for various reasons, I guess some could just couldn't do it. Anyway, we figured out how to put this issue together. Now we have five, I think, or six pieces. Mm-hmm. We have some great poetry from Rosamond S. King. Oh, yeah, Rosamond. You, you, you probably know her, Stephen. Yeah, yeah okay. I adore yeah. her, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a really good poet, really strong on the page. Um, we have a piece from Cherie Smith, who's uh, head of the art, historian, art history department, I think, at UT Austin, who's written about this really interesting confluence of... Um, Juneteenth and thinking about blackness and dealing with her sons, her two young sons, who watched the Travis Scott concert on Fortnite mm-hmm. and exclaimed excitedly that they wanted to buy his skin after the um, concert mm. was over. So she had to have a chat with both of them. <laughs> she said an age-appropriate chat for the 11-year-old and the 8-year-old about what buying one's skin can mean and mm. how it has a history. And that history mm-hmm. has very much to do with them being young black boys who will grow up into being black men. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had a piece from Lise Ragbeer talking about um, uh, the the art scene in Austin, how how um, lively it is, how full of talent. Um, mm-hmm. and discuss some of the artists who will come out of that scene or who have lived in in Texas, mm-hmm. and that's a really lovely piece. And then. Um, Harag has this long interview with, and an, uh, I think an art historian named Leigh Reed, if I if I'm correct. Anyway, 
we put together a really great Sunday edition, I think, mm-hmm. a really strong mm-hmm. one. But I never knew anything about Juneteenth coming coming up. I, I literally, this is my 49th year on the planet. And this is the first time I've ever really had an extended conversation about Juneteenth, come mm-hmm. to an understanding historically about what it means, mm-hmm. and have it, and, and because of these things, have it become meaningful to me. And part mm-hmm. of it is that I grew up in, in New York, um, so I'm not connected in a way to the sort of Southern ways and or histories mm-hmm. that, that would have been maybe for me um, an entry, a, an access um, route to the, the story of Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. And also my parents were very working class Jamaican, so who of a particular generation who always instilled in my sister and I the idea that we were not like those black Americans. I'm doing scare quotes while mm-hmm. I'm saying this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, which is, you know, which is another podcast. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I'm actually, I feel grateful that I'm able to actually talk about Juneteenth with you mm. guys. This is a conversation mm. that I've been waiting for, in some ways, for years to have. Mm. Uh, Stephen, do you want to jump in or? I'm just thinking about something um, that Seth said. And so I was thinking about how Juneteenth was introduced to a lot of people. Like, it's one of those things mm-hmm. that really, it's stronger this year because I think of the um, the murders and Absolutely. COVID. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely more magnified. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been around, like, forever. And the thing I wanted to say is that my understanding of it becomes clearer as I read, you know, more mm-hmm. in-depth books about it. Because... Mm-hmm. It's, it's. I mean, it's part. Anyway, go right ahead. I'm still thinking something that. Um, yeah. Subset. So mm-hmm. you know, um, it's. I am. I think the potential development of Juneteenth into a civic holiday is a. It would be a fantastic development for the country. I Amen. really. Mm-hmm. I, Amen. Because because historically, one of the ways that the United States has incorporate has made gestures towards incorporating people into its um kind of acceptable public discourse is by is by creating civic holidays for them i mean this is i mean now they've become problematic columbus day i mean i, I feel like they could find a better italian to to solidify italian com- american oh, communities oh, yeah we, we, know, we, should t- we should talk about that because i found <laughs> yeah, out some stuff at but, oof. But but here's the thing, though. The, the reason that Columbus Day even became a thing in the United States was because it was an effort to more fully integrate Italians into the, the sort of the American polis. Right. And, you know, I, I, <laughs> definitely we could have picked another one. You know, there's definitely more laudable Italians in the history of the world than Columbus. But, way, way more. Yeah, yeah, right, right. All of them, maybe. I don't yeah, know. I mean. So, <laughs> I mean may, maybe Mussolini is like down, you know, yeah. is, is a little further down on the list but um so it, so i i think i am i am 1000% excited by the prospect not just in in favor of excited by the prospect mm-hmm. of there being an actual not just like not just um reckoning with the history of blacks in the americas but actually a celebration mm. of what has emerged right. from that tragedy mm-hmm. the possibility to celebrate all of the things that 
you know, if I stand, if I took a moment, I, I would feel grateful for and blessed that these things are in the world. I mean, not the least of which are my friendships and, mm-hmm. and, and all of the other things that have come into the world because of that awful, terrible, completely irredeemable act of, mm. in, of, in, of the enslavement of a group of people. So mm. I am, I'm, I'm entirely in favor of Juneteenth. I know that there are a variety of these celebrations in the history of the United States. It's mm-hmm. not the only one to celebrate emancipation. I know it's somewhat complicated. I mean, I think here's mm. – and I'll let, I'll let Stephen jump in. The thing that I find particularly poignant and, and applicable about the holiday is that it is, it, it is a gold standard example of why um, symbolic gestures are not enough and why struggle has to continue. Mm. So it, you know, Juneteenth is celebrating something that happened two years after the Emancipation Proclamation mm-hmm. when, when by force the federal government had to free the slaves in Texas. Like mm. they had to bring troops in. Mm-hmm. It's not like that, you know, we were talking about this at the beginning. They probably, they knew, right? The telegraph had been invented. Like all of that stuff got to, to its respective of parts of the country. Course. It's when they showed up with federal troops and they said, "No, you are going to free these people." You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean that, and that that struggle is is nearly endless, mm-hmm. right? It's nearly endless that you have to um, that the work of of uh, making people's symbolically equal um, is is an endless task, right. I think. So. Right. I'm sorry, Stephen. No, no, don't be sorry. I was just thinking about how I was going to phrase this. It feels like Juneteenth, it feels like a bit, like a comedian bit. Shh, yo, I hear that. No, no, they're free now. Oh my God, they're free. Oh, but I, I really want this dress. You know, it just, it just feels like a bit. And That's I'm just funny. like, this That's just, funny. you know, it's like, oh, they're here. And then someone does this and then the camera goes to black. It's just... Right. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. They're like, shh, don't let the Negroes know. Don't let them know. Know about what? Odessa, it's okay, Odessa. No, just go nothing. back to nothing. Just go right. go back to beating out that cornmeal. <laughs> right. Wow. This, you know, this. Um, <laughs> if I'll try and bring it back to something a little, uh, uh, probably a little bit more. Uh, on topic from what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, mm. which is I watched an interview with the, uh, I forget her name, maybe Stephen or Seth, if you guys remember, you can help me out. The mm. leader that one of the leaders of the national, of uh, the BLM movement nationally, oh. she was being interviewed um, on CNN. I and don't remember her name. About this idea of because you know BLM is basically kind of on the spectrum of defunding the police meaning restructure and defunding the police meaning abolish right they're mm-hmm. they're they're a little bit closer on the side of abolish um depending even on which, they, which chapter you talk to i think yeah but right. but mm-hmm. but the national, the national platform their national national yes. platform is that de- restructuring on the way to abolish right, right. um mm-hmm. and you know so that the reporter had this question for like, well, what do you do? What about domestic violence situations? I mean, you know, this doesn't even bring up that like, what do you do about school shootings? You know, this kind of stuff. So if we're going to, if we're going to literally not have police, what do you do in domestic violence situations? Mm -hmm. And her initial response, um, I thought was incredibly naive. And then her second response was only slightly less naive. Her initial response was, um, that you would have a neighborhood action plan because all of the neighbors would know one another, they would have more tightly knit communities, and that the neighborhood would have an action plan for helping out the domestic violence victim, which 
is of I don't I don't even know what to say about that besides like isn't it pretty to think so? Right. Like I mean that right. that that's that, that's that's wonderful, but okay. Now back. Now, meanwhile, on planet Earth. Um, well, yeah, it, it definitely feels a bit naive, but you know how I feel about imagination. I want people to consider and to go out. However, I mean, I think if you're going to say abolish the police, it's going to be incumbent upon you to describe in you know what else. In, right. And I think Practical that terms, yeah, yeah. here's what I like about what she said, though. I like this community thing. I just don't trust that people can be. I think there were elements they brought people together in a particular way that developed community. And I don't see that happening right now. I see Precisely. that yeah. Morphos becoming Sweet. more isolated, as a matter Precisely. of fact. So I'm not sure where that, that community aspect from 1970 could work in 2020. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's 350 million people in the United States. How are you restart? So her second response, I mean, t- to her credit, she said, I understand that that's not necessarily what's going to happen. So mm-hmm. she advocates for mental health professionals showing up, which, okay, so totally behind that idea of mental health professionals getting involved. And that the reporter says, well, what about or would they be armed? And she's like, well, no, of course not. Guns don't ever solve anything. And he said, well, what, what about the number of guns that there are in the United States? Precisely. And she said, well, of course we have a gun problem and force never, never, um, stops force. And that, you know, we, that's not true. Right. Yes. So, so this is my very long segue into, Mm -hmm. yes, in fact, force does stop force. And in fact, in a lot of instances, it's mm-hmm. the only thing that does. Precisely. And and it's a total fantasy to think mm-hmm. that you can regulate a, 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 commu- a large-scale, I, I, I know I always use this phrase, but a large-scale community of strangers, a, a, a country on this scale with the amount of entrenched animosity that exists – between peoples of of color or religious background or, you know, just kind of like uptight, uh, you know, male reactionary mm-hmm. ideologies, you think you're going to regulate those people with mental health professionals? Like, so, 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 that is not going to happen. Right. So I want to say, I, w- I would want to say to her in that instance, okay, so would mental health practitioners have been able to stop the two men who went after Ahmad Arbery? Like, if yeah. they had intervened, what would have yeah. happened? Because my yeah. suspicion mm-hmm. is that those motherfuckers will not respect anything but the power of the gun. Because they held guns. Like, if mm-hmm. you show up there strapped to the teeth, bulletproof vest, visor, scopes on your rifles, I bet they pay attention to that shit. I bet they stop running after that black man then. It's just I like, believe that. It's, like, right. it's yeah. like, this is just not the case. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a bit... I shade a bit, I think, in this conversation, a bit more towards, um, well, this is not exactly completely accurate, but for sake of conversation, I shade a bit more towards Travis in this instance, in that I'm really desiring, I, I, I really want in these conversations to, pe- to have people's feet be firmly on the ground. Mm-hmm. I'm not so interested in their imaginative capacities in this, in these instances, mm-hmm. only because I feel like the conversations are so important. They are so crucial mm-hmm. that we mm-hmm. can't, it, 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 it feels like we're expending 
a certain kind of cultural capital frivol- frivol- frivolously. Mm. When mm. we have the moment on CNN, when we're at being asked a, a, a serious question and you don't come up with a serious response, that's not a serious enough response. That just is, it's, it's, it's a, I think it's a wasted opportunity. I want, I want to say this. I think it's fine for her to have these conversations in a salon, right? Where like you're tossing out ideas and you're working through mm-hmm. them. You're saying, okay, let's put these things to, to, to the, to the room. Let's work through them. And mm-hmm. then when you when you go in front of the cameras, have something that actually like can stand up. But see, I actually think they've done that, and I and I think at the bottom, my impatience with not being able to learn as you go, because I think mm-hmm. that I know what mm-hmm. you mean. I think that this is how people learn how to be media savvy. This is how people learn how to as answer questions. But I bet you they did sit in a room and talk about this is our, these are our platforms. They've had to they've had to put out statements after statement. You know, saying this is where we stand on this particular issue. Where I agree with the both of you is that I just want them to be better prepared. Mm. You don't have to have the answers for me. I just, Mm. because I'm thinking who's actually paying attention to these kinds of broadcasts anyway? Lots of people. That's so I'll thing. give you. An, well, no. Here, so here. I okay. So I, I I only have an anecdote. I don't have any statistics on this. But okay. one of uh, one of the 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 engine the our sound engineer for the pot. Well, yeah. I mean, he has regular contact with re- people who who regularly consume their media through CNN. Hold and on. his description of of that media consumption is that they take what they hear as a kind of gospel, like chapter mm. and verse. This becomes mm. the position they stake out. Mm. That is my experience of people's consumption of, of, of mass media, mainstream media, mm-hmm. that basically they take these, that they're not, they're not operating at the level of sort of critical engagement with what they're hearing. They they hear the leader of the BL, the national leader of the BLM movement say mm-hmm. this is a viable solution to domestic violence in America and they believe that and I'm with I think that was I think what Seth said is exactly I'm in complete agreement mm-hmm. you need a more serious answer to that question and if you're mm-hmm. if and and I suspect that you're right Stephen that they do, mm-hmm. are talking about this I mean the the movement was very prepared for the George Floyd moment like, Absolutely. they showed up ready to go which is laudable and I applaud that and I'm impressed by it mm-hmm. and then they need to be having better conversations then in the honestly, be, honestly. because some someone else needs to be in there that has lived on the same planet I've lived on because those are not solutions for this planet Right, and those are not solutions either for an American electorate that is deeply, deeply, deeply suspicious of Black Lives Matter any damn way, right? Like, Absolutely. So, so they start off, and just in terms of mainstream, and, what, and let me be really clear about this. What I'm talking about is not a certain set of politics. What I'm talking about is a road to develop public policy. Right, because if they want this shit to happen, you have to do, you have to do the thing that will actually make these suggestions, these sort of imaginative, creative uh, solutions mm-hmm. into public policy. You have to get the ears and eyes, the attention of people who craft public policy. Right, so you have to get basically you have to get legislators to take you seriously. You have mm-hmm. to get um, um, government um, officials to take you seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way to do that is precisely through these moments on CNN, right? Through, precisely through these moments on um, what's taken to be 
what's taken to be serious media, right? Mm-hmm. CNN, mm-hmm. Washington Post, The Guardian, New York Times, you know, you know, we know the list. If in those moments you can capture the public's attention and 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 a sense of hope and give them relatively practical solutions that they can then go by, go back to their town halls and their uh, salons and their um, the letters that they write to their senators and their representatives and say, mm. actually, you know, I heard what she said and that what what she said really makes sense to me. So can, why can't we move on this? Mm-hmm. This is these are the moments when that can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do feel like, and then I'm happy to have your response to it. I do feel like I, I actually feel like it's harmful. I don't just feel like Agreed. it's it's um, it's not helpful. I actually feel like it's an impediment to a real moment to execute serious change. And, and this idea is a lot, I mean, it's on fire on social media Mm -hmm. and uh, Mm -hmm. this idea of, you know, kind of abolishing the police and and all this kind of stuff. And what it, to me, what it does is it essentially guarantees that no, that this moment is going to pass and that they're not going to capitalize on the moment to make real substantive changes. You know, I I got into a conversation with a, a relative about this. You know, same. I mean, here's the thing: like our politics, we want to get to the same place. I want to get to the same place. I want, I want, you know, I want racial profiling to end. I want, I want to generate uh, more opportunities for disenfranchised um, brown and black men and women in this country who have been historically excised, I mean, excised, like, like removed, like their opportunities were cut out from mm-hmm. underneath them mm-hmm. or bombed in some cases. Like mm. I am absolutely for radical reallocation of resources in this country to mm-hmm. accomplish that. Mm-hmm. Abolish the police is the wrong road to be on to get, to affect those changes. And, and I, it just, it seems to me like I worry very seriously that, that we're spending, like as Seth said, too much cultural capital on just unrealistic um, um, fantasies. I, I, and I want to say this too about the realistic side of, of the reform movement. Cutting the budgets of police forces around the country is actually a step in the right direction. It absolutely is. I think if you, I mean, I've seen some astronomical figures with like a small town of 9,000 people just Mm. bought some massive like tank-like thing and they they were proudly advertising it. I mean, I don't know how much the thing costs. I didn't find out. But if we, if a, if a town or a city has a budget of $500 million for their police force, I am completely convinced they can carve out $100 million of that, Absolutely. fund some mental health care workers, um, fund um, after-school programs, fund uh, anti-recidivism programs, key, mm-hmm. and fund a bunch of other things that I can't think of right now. That will actually make the use of force by police less necessary over the long term, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, so cops are going to actually benefit because their lives won't be in as much danger, mm-hmm. period. 
right? Yeah. I mean, I, but we need, I just, I want to say like, let's, let's, like, let's have those goals be front and center in the movement. Like, let's just say, like, let's, let's say this thing that is practical, that is, I think, very achievable and, and go for that. Yeah. Steven, what do you think? I don't have any um, response to that because I'm still kind of thinking it through. Like I wanted okay. to ask you both, and you sort of answered it in a way that was in terms of what the defunding the police could do. Not defund the police, but reduce the budget. Mm-hmm. I was like, wanted to ask Travis, have you heard of any instances where th- abolish the police sort of made sense to you? Like you saw, you, you heard someone give a really good example of that. Mm. So for me, it would be, you know, it, 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 to me, it all comes down on what do we mean by abolish the police? So oh, I know what do we Camden, mean by police? Yeah. So like in Camden, New Jersey, mm-hmm. you know, they, they pulled their police force out by the route and completely restructured it, made every single person reapply, weakened their union. And it seems like the results have been quite positive. Mm-hmm. I mean, the crime has gone down. You know, in, there's increased trust between the community and and the mm-hmm. police and everything. So I, I'm in favor of that anywhere and everywhere that is necessary. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't. In my experience of mm-hmm. of living in this country and a few other places, in my experience of dealing with people and running and coming into contact with people who, um, you know, aren't necessarily on you know the upward track, you know, you know, upward mobility. Because mm-hmm. you know, I, I I used to work in group homes when I was younger. Uh, I mean, I worked I I worked in a group home in which. Um, the kids were taken away from their parents because their parents used to pimp them out for drugs. Right. Um, you know, I worked in a group home whose, uh, kids, uh, whose parent had their kids taken away because they kicked them so hard that they lost the ability to control their bladder. These things happen in the world a lot. Now Mm -hmm. it's not the majority. It's not everyone's experience, but Mm -hmm. in, but it is a violent place that we live in. It is violent. And it is a total and complete masturbatory fantasy. And it actually starts, I start to become less charitable when I, when I really talk about like something that I consider so core to actually helping us manage living in the mess that we live in. Like I actually, f- I, I feel like these ideas do harm to people who are currently under threat by others. There, this idea I saw on social media actually made me slightly angry. This idea like no one has ever, you know, ask yourself, have you ever been helped by a police officer? Has anyone that you've ever known been helped by a police I'm like, officer? Yes. And I wanted to say, yes. absolutely, and yes. you live in a gated community if your ass hasn't. Because, right. I, I mean, mm. I had kids were being brought to the group home by police who had been removed from the home because they were living with monsters. Mm-hmm. Monsters. And so, yes, like, do I think that the police needs to be reformed? Do I think that they need, I mean, all of the laundry list of things we've talked about and a million others that I am too untutored to know mm-hmm. and people who are far more educated on the subject than I am. Absolutely. But the the idea that we can just do without them mm-hmm. is I don't even know why we're spending, to me, this <laughs> is like, it's a freshman seminar. Right. Like, I feel like, this is, I was talking to my wife about this, like, I feel like the 
the the dialogue and the, what passes for mm-hmm. wisdom and thoughtful engagement at this level barely reaches the level of a freshman seminar. So and mm-hmm. and 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 that is and that's what's driving the debate in this country. So so I want to uh, add on to that. Part of what makes me a bit crazy too, and I have the same and I have a similar kind of umbrage that starts to rise in me like bile um i like i i get kind of angry when i think about the similar conversations that are happening around the war around the media water cooler with regard to abolishing prisons when people say just let people out i want to say to them have you ever actually encountered a gangster like a real gangster because Mm -hmm. i have when I worked when I worked for Hugo Boss, um, and then this just I know this sounds counterintuitive, but when I worked for Hugo Boss at the LA Beverly Center, there were a couple of guys who I don't know how they got wind of us or got wind that yep that that got wind that that this was a good place for them to shop. But there, a couple of guys came in one day and I helped them and they spent a whole bunch of money and, and they paid in cash, and they're. I guess the best way to say it is their crew started to come around. Mm-hmm. And and eventually a guy who was obviously a cop started to come around. And he had the same prison build as the rest of the guy's crew. So this guy who was the top guy in his crew, whatever, he would he would he would say shit to me like, um, so Seth, um, uh, how much is this suit? And I'd say, it's twelve hundred dollars. He's like and he'd say, Seth, you're not lying to me, are you? I'm like, no. Here's the tag. It's twelve hundred dollars. He's like, Seth, is it really twelve hundred dollars? I'm like, yes. Mm. Now, now he was gangster light, right? But mm. he had some guys in his crew. There's a redhead guy again, same prison build, like huge upper body, skinny legs. Mm-hmm. And my, I talked this up with my then supervisor Beatrice Matura, a Romanian woman who I, I, I got along with pretty well at work. We were talking about working with them because by the time that the boss guy had kind of developed a relationship with me, he started to bring in a bunch of other people, like three or four other guys. And Beatrice and I exchanged notes and we, she said, you know, we, I went over there, I walked over to them and they were, the way they were talking, they were talking about like some party or being, getting some women over there. She said, I immediately felt unsafe, mm-hmm. like in the store. Like, you know, full broad daylight in a store in a big, mm-hmm. big, huge Beverly Center. She said, I just walked away. And there was, and I remember a conversation I had with one of these guys. And it's, it's just a conversation, right? He asked me about something in a glass case. And so I, I showed it to him. Mm-hmm. And, and then he asked me the same question about the thing again, as if what I just said made no difference to him. It was that cold. Mm-hmm. There was a way in which when he, the way he said it, it just kind of made my blood run cold. I was like, oh my God, like, it doesn't matter to you what I say. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're not, you're, you're looking mm-hmm. for something else. I don't know what it is, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter to you what I say. Mm-hmm. Like, there are people in the world who are, as Travis said, monsters. I don't mm-hmm. know how to really rehabilitate these people. I, I, you know, there are people I suppose who do, but I don't even know if people who crawl, cause that guy, that guy mm-hmm. has murdered someone. Like that guy has murdered people. You know, mm-hmm. that guy I was dealing with. 
Yeah. I don't know how, I don't know that redemption is necessarily always possible. I think that sometimes mm-hmm. you cross the Rubicon and you can't cross back. Honestly, I don't know what to do with those people. And I honestly think that if you just open the prisons, you let loose bedlam. You do. Yeah. I, I, I want to, and I want to make this clear. I'm not saying that wholesale human beings are irredeemable once they make a mistake. They're not. There are some who come back. There are some who are better mm-hmm. human beings, right? Mm-hmm. After, after they've come into some sort of intimate knowledge of what they've done and the consequences of that. But there are some that, pff, no, no, mm-hmm. that do not let them well, out. Yeah, I mean, and the thing, the thing I would add to that is, you know, so, you know, we're talking about, you know, sort of retributive versus sort of restorative justice as models mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm all for having a baseline restorative justice model system in this country. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know who can be redeemed. Mm-hmm. I'm not equipped to tell you that. Mm-hmm. But I do know that we need violence to ensure that those who can are separated from those who can't. Mm. And and that there is no other way to regulate them. And I mean, I, I don't mean in a, you know, I grew up, uh, you know, where I grew up, I uh, didn't always feel like the safest place. I mean, my parents were great, but I mean, we, we grew up in some, in, uh, in some tougher neighborhoods in Long Beach and, and areas like that. And I, I have known people who feel very comfortable with violence and mm-hmm. you don't want to interact with those. You don't want to disagree with those people mm. because they don't <laughs> have the same lines that you and I do around mm-hmm. like what I mean, they just the break isn't there in the same way. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you you need I mean, violence workers. I mean, that's what these people are. You need violence where you need people that are empowered to commit violence to stop the minority of people that create that feeling of being unsafe, right? Of course, we're not talking about the majority of people. This is a small segment of the population uh, that can wreak havoc on, on the rest though. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, I know, I know Steph and I have been jawing a lot. So Stephen, I'll let you, you've been, you've been nodding sagely at our, (laughs) at our opinions. Hmm. Yes. Very important. (laughs) Um, Happy Juneteenth, everyone. Um, (laughs) Defund the police, but don't defund the police. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, Should we we end on a note about Juneteenth? I think, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. So Steven, I, do you want to do yeah. you want to do you want to do you want to take us out or do you want Steph oh to, or? oh Steph, take us out, please. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I am, as I said at the top of the prod, podcast, really grateful that I have a moment to. I've come into a kind of understanding about how important this holiday is. Mm-hmm. I I deeply appreciate that even though the news came late that we were free, that we are free, you know, and there's something about that self-recognition that we are free that is mm-hmm. beautiful and that we celebrate that is even more beautiful, that we say to ourselves, you and I are free. Um, uh that's that's always kind of worth celebrating and it is particularly worth celebrating when we look at the span and the arc of our 
of the history of black people in this nation. So I'm glad that I get to share that with both of you. Thank you. It's awesome. Yeah, me too. Me too. All right, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let that's it. That's it. <laughs> Steven, <laughs> Seth, thank you for the conversation. Indeed. Uh, As and you I'll were. Talk to you guys next week. Good day. Good day.